You guys, I'm so blessed to be able to talk to you about a topic that I'm not an expert in. You good, bro? Yeah. Did your brother pop you? No. Okay, good. <laughs> I, um, I use the word love a lot. And I'm, you know, an English speaker. And so when I say love, I can mean a lot of different things about that. And I think maybe some of you, whether you use the word a lot or not, you can understand that in our culture, love is a huge topic. And it's been defined and redefined by probably all of us at some point. We even say the word twice. Like, you say, man, Aaron, I love him. And some of you go, you love, love him? Right? You say the word twice, just to be like, what kind of, what are we talking about right here? And like, man, I really love anchovies. And some of you go, what? And then one of my favorite little skits from Saturday Night Live, there's this guy, and he's eating french fries. He goes, I love these. Well, if you love them so much, why don't you marry them? It's not that kind of love, right? But in our culture, we have a lot of different ways we go about talking about this. And we've committed, we've been rooted, we've been beyond normal, we've been recognizing that what Jesus says goes. And if we're going to address love, we've got to look at what he says about it. We've got to repent of where we're off on it. We get to do all that, but we've got to. How do we determine if this exists at all the way the Bible says? Well, we look at Jesus. And again, I want to remind you that giving of your love is not just going to be a mental exercise. You know, it may start there. It starts in the heart. But you got to come out with it, right? you got to do something about it. So I'm just going to ask really, really quickly, how do you know somebody loves you? Actions, they, they do something about it. Sweet. What else? Words. Words? I mean, they, they both count, right? How many of you serve and love your family really well, but every now and then they want to just hear it? Is anybody like that? Have you, have you seen a, a little um, reminder in a story where a guy says to his wife, what's wrong? She goes, well, you never really tell me that you love me. He said, I told you I loved you on the day we got married. If anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> How would that work out? Any, any of the ladies go, okay, that's fine. <laughs> How many guys want to not just be respected, but they want to be shown love? You guys, this is real for us. By way of dedicating, at least because of how long I've been preaching lately, we're going to be here for about 75 minutes, not now, from here to, but I mean, you got here at 9, we'll probably get out of here by 10, 15 or so. But we dedicate a part of our day to show love to Jesus and love to others, whether it's a Sunday, Sabbath, Shabbat, or it's Wednesday at a Bible study, or it's all the above, or it's daily, we set aside some time. But really, 
as my friend Richard was reminding me on Friday, it's the in-between times that we're really getting a chance to live that out. And it's actions for sure, and it's words for sure, and it's thoughts for sure, it's affections for sure. I'm blessed to be able to coach baseball this year again, and there's some young bucks that are trying to figure out how to hit. Some of them just haven't played before, and some of them it's been a while, and some of them, they just got a little mental block. They're like, I just don't want to strike out. I'm like, if that's your focus, guess what's going to happen? <laughs> it's like, you don't worry about not striking out. You're like, that ball is mine. I'm going to hit it. I try to get these guys to just relax and focus in on the task at hand. And that's what I coach. That's what I'm freaked out about. And I'm like, cool, let's just practice. And I know that we can practice love daily. And so we want to go with what Jesus said. And he said, you shall love. Look, he's our standard for it. He's the reason why we even have it and have a standard to begin with. He commanded, you shall love. Last week we talked about this. How can God command love? Because he's God. Because he is love. Because he's hardwired us to receive that. Now, whatever he commands, whatever he demands of us, we should be able to do. But he laid this one out so exquisitely that we're going to actually need him to have this whole thing work. And that, my dear friends, is the point. We need him. And he's willing, very willing, always available. If you catch my voicemail message, it's going to say, I'm not available, but Jesus is. <laughs> and he always is. Well, I just, I want to hear his voice. Sometimes we just got to trust that what we're reading is his voice. What he might be saying through creation is his voice. What he's saying in your mind, in your heart, that's consistent with what he's already said is his voice. And we got to practice that. So I'm excited to be able to get down to this. And, and this is going to be probably a message that some of you could check out on because it's something you're very familiar with. We even have a law in our society that has the title of this account that we're going to talk about today. So let's get right to it. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 14, 15, he laid that one out for us. But he also said the next greatest thing of keeping his commandments, right, is not just talking about them, but doing them. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And so here's a command we're going to look at today. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Some of you are like, sweet. I'm really good at this. Some of you are going to be like, oh man, is there coffee? Did they say something about coffee? I'm going to go check that out. Please hang in here with us. Let's go to Luke 10. And we'll go 25 through 28 to begin with. You might remember that Jesus consistently has people ask him questions. And last week we talked about how this leader in the law, this lawyer of biblical law, asked him a question. And he's like, what's the most important commandment? Well, we're going to see a little different um, expression of that today. 
This guy comes up to test him. Now, that could be an examination of his character. It could be a chance for him to see, what does this guy know? You know how we do that sometimes. This guy one time did this to me in the airport. I was reading the Bible, and it was just waiting for my plane, and I'm just kind of there, and I'm trying not to focus on what's going on around me. It's a little hard for me to do. But I'm reading. This guy comes up and he goes, do you believe that crap? I literally thought he was talking to somebody else. I'm like, what? He goes, that. Do you believe that crap? I'm like, with all my heart. He goes, me too. I was just testing you. (laughs) I was like, bruh, I hope you're not sitting next to me. (laughs) But it was good. It was fun. It was funny. It was offensive. You know, all those things. Great. But this is the kind of thing that's happening to Jesus. He's being tested a lot. And I think today you and I are as well. Luke 10, 25 through 28. And behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test. This sadly could also be considered him trying to trap Jesus. And I believe because of the context it really was. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What should I do? He's not saying what's the most important commandment. He's not asking Jesus that. He's like, what should I do to be saved? What are my actions going to need to be? So Jesus says to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Woo! Jesus is like, you want to examine me? Ha ha! Let me examine you. Let me, let me put it back. Let me ask you, what do you understand about this? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you shall live. What is he telling him to do? And he'll live? He'll have eternal life? What is it? Love your neighbor? Love your God? With all that you got? Everything. So what I've come to understand about this over the years is that all Jesus is asking them to do is perfectly love God and everybody. (laughs) Seems pretty straightforward. But impossible by himself. Loving your neighbor as yourself, as we're going to look at, is actually super hard. And if you don't know that, I'm not going to say, well, then you're not married. (laughs) Or I'm going to say, well, then you don't have kids. I'm going to say you're not human. (laughs) It's hard. And so, one of the things that stood out to me as we were reading through in our reading plan and all of that is that the young rich ruler came up, was super really into what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, just keep these commandments. I've already done those. He's like, great, then sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. I talked about him last week just briefly, and I'll say it one more time. And the guy went away because he didn't want treasure in Jesus. He wanted his treasure and Jesus. Not treasure in Jesus or Jesus as his treasure, but treasure and Jesus. What else should I do? I feel like something's lacking. And Jesus is like, yeah, 
You worship your stuff. Come to me. I, that's where life is at. That's love. So come on. And the guy went away sad because he loved his riches more than he loved Yahweh. And check it out. Everybody was freaking out. They're like, what is happening? I thought rich people were in for sure. Because richness, like treasures, like great body, great hair, all these things are supposed to be, you're blessed. This is life. Eternal life even. And Jesus is like, no, it's impossible for people who are rich to be saved on their own. He said it like this, and it applies to this whole loving God with all that you have and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. He said it in Matthew 19, 26. So he says this to the man, this young rich ruler. The young rich ruler is like, no, I can't do it. He says this to the lawyer, and the lawyer responds to Jesus after. He says, hey, good job. Just go do this, and you'll live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Do you get this idea of what it means to try to justify yourself? I'm sure you've seen it in somebody else. But, <laughs> but this idea, right, of making ourselves right, making ourselves acceptable, making ourselves even righteous. I know, it's really tiring. <laughs> it's super, we do it all the time, all the time. I feel that, Phoenix, in the, the soles of my feet. So he tried to justify himself. And you know what happened? Jesus was like, you actually can't. Check it out. Jesus replied, you want to know who your neighbor is? Let me tell you a story. I'm not of the mindset that this isn't a parable, but I can't stand before you and say this is a parable, which is kind of a made-up story with a point. I honestly think this is probably an account or something similar to an account of something that happened in their culture. And I believe that it's real. If it wasn't real for this specific moment, Jesus is bringing something to their attention that they would have known about. And so I'm going to go with that. Here we go. We're going all the way through with this story that you've heard a ton, I'm sure, to verse 37. You guys already know what the story is? Yeah, we have a law for that. Used to be, I think, some kind of an RV or whatever is a Good Samaritan, Good Sam, all this. We understand this. I, I cannot explain this enough. I'm going to try two multiple ways. To say Good Samaritan to a Jewish person, or to say anything good about a Samaritan to a Jewish person, was an oxymoron. They did not believe that, that there was any such thing. So Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was up on a hill, and that's why it means down. Down to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This would have been a very common thing. There was a lot. It was treacherous. It was going down about three miles, but it was dropping pretty high to pretty low. 
And so people would get tired, people focused on the road, and there was robbers and thieves and murderers that would be hiding, waiting to steal from people. And it would happen quite a bit. And it happened to this man. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Before you get too judgy like I normally do of the priest, can we just stop and think of our own culture for a second? Have you ever seen somebody stranded on the side of the road and thought, man, I should, I should probably see if they're all right. Nowadays, we're like, oh, everybody's got a phone. Or somebody else might have called. You ever seen a hitchhiker? And you're like, not today, Satan. Mm. Mm. Maybe you see somebody who's been fairly, uh, I don't even know if it's affectionate, but they call it flying a sign. Not going to lie, I need a beer. Or I'm really hungry. Or I need some help. How about people weeping in public? How about somebody struggling to open a door? How about somebody struggling to carry the weight of whatever bundle they have? How about somebody who's been tired of being treated poorly because of the color of their skin? Be frustrated with you because your skin color is different. Or you sit there while people make fun of them and you don't say anything. It's risky to step in. I mean, I would totally pull over and grab that hitchhiker, but I've got my kids in the car. And Jamie, I'm not going to lie, your son told me a story. And it wrecked me. I have so often said, if it wasn't for my kids, and then just blasted by people who needed something without understanding what it is that they need, when my kids weren't even in the car. <laughs> I'm in a hurry. I've got places to go. So before we judge the priest, and next the Levite, we might want to examine ourselves. Why don't we stop? I love how Jesus says, now by chance. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. I, I, I just, I don't have time. Or if I touch you and you're dead, I'll be unclean. I can't do my job. I... I've got somewhere to be. I've got a job to do. People are depending on me. I don't have time to be interrupted. Or just flat out indifference, which is what we normally look at. Like, oh, priest, pastor, those guys are paid to be good. Hypocrites. They're paid hypocrites. I wish I could just say they. But what I've been just really landing on is it's we for me. We're paid hypocrites, like pastors. I don't have this dialed in. The only thing that kept running through my mind other than thank you, Jesus, I need you, Jesus, as I was studying this, was I've got a long way to go. Whew. 
So he's like two kind of superstars-ish, or at least righteous people in their society pass by on the other side of this guy that was left half dead. We look at him and go, oh, he gone, right? Like, I'm not going to even try. But a Samaritan, Jesus says, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. At this moment, the lawyer is probably, uh, what should I say, gulping. A Samaritan? Those guys, they willingly, being far away from Jerusalem, up in the northern part of the country, willingly cohabitated with Gentile gross sinners. And lots and lots of different ones at that. But mostly the Assyrians and those guys were bad news. They did some gross stuff. Most people think that most of the people that were half Jewish and half something else that were called Samaritans were probably related to the Ninevites who skinned people alive and lots and lots of other things. These are the people that Jonah was like, uh-uh, I ain't going there. God called me to. I heard it real clear, but I'm out. I'm going the other direction. And they're like, gosh, they knew the truth and walked away from it. How dare they? Samaritan would have been a bad name to call somebody. We'll get into that in just a second. But Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of this story. As he journeyed, and what? He had all the things to worry about that those guys did, except maybe being clean or going to work at the temple or coming home from the temple. It's been a long day. We don't know where the Samaritan was going, but we know he was going somewhere when he saw him. And he stops and he has compassion on him, interrupts his day. He went to him, bound up his wounds, poured oil and wine. And you're like, what? Was he making a salad or was he helping this guy out? That was medicine for them. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. I'm going to tell you, my wife Kathy is probably one of the purest, sweetest people in the world, and then she married me. And I've had influence on her, but she said, look, I found this shirt. It says, get off your donkey and help somebody. He got off his own animal, got down, helped this guy, and then put the guy on his own animal and went for it. Could have been a trap. A guy could have been sick, could be infected. Look, I'd stop, but six feet. And so the next day, and he hung around, by the way. This is not just like a one and done. Whoo, I'm going to put you in at the end. Good luck. The next day, he took out two denarii. And this is really fun. You can do whatever you want with this. But it was a day's worth of pay for a laborer at that time. I just kind of looked it up in Snohomish County. We're anywhere from 1525 in Snohomish County to about $20 an hour for somebody who would be a laborer or basic minimum wage type job. But like I have friends that are laborers and they make almost as much as I do. 
So whatever it is, you can have anywhere from $250 to $600, $700 a day that people that were laborers are getting paid. But let's go with the smallest amount, $250. Well, not a day. It would be $125 and then $125. So $250. He lays down two days' worth of wages. And he gives it to the innkeeper. And he said, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. I'm this dude's advocate. I'm trying to take care of him. I want to help. I want to serve. So then Jesus says, look at how fantastic this was. Which one of these three do you think? Lawyer? Lawyer of the law? Lawyer that knows what it says in Exodus and Leviticus? about being good to strangers and even enemies? Which one do you think proved to be a neighbor? Friends, will you remind me what the justifying question was that the lawyer asked? Jesus didn't say who his neighbor was. He says who the neighbor was to that guy. Listen, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Who was being a neighbor? Not who is your neighbor. Who is being the neighbor? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even say the Samaritan. He's like, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, okay, you go and do likewise. Back to the perfection thing. You're going to need some help for this one. So I just want to give you three takeaways from this. Three quick ones. Number one, understanding Jesus' love starts with admitting you're not perfect. <laughs> Jesus' love, right, is more than what you can get on your own. One of my favorite, no, my favorite movie is Princess Bride. And they go to this guy, Miracle Max, because they're trying to get this guy to be raised from the dead. So blasphemous, all that. Okay, I get it. But they give him like this chocolate-covered miracle pill. And Wesley comes back to life. And they're going to go storm the castle. And he's standing there with his wife, and she looks at him and goes, do you think they'll make it? It would take a miracle. It's going to take a miracle for you and I to go and do Likewise. I just can't do it on my own. Woo, that's right where Jesus meets you. That's right where he meets you. True, real, authentic love starts with admitting we can't do it on our own. And acknowledging that only Jesus can. So I'll lead me to my second takeaway for you today. And this is an important one too. We can't justify ourselves. Uh, I'll try. I know. We do. Well, what I meant was, look, I have um, one of my children that I'll say, this is what you need to do. And they'll tell me, I know. <laughs> if you know, then you do. <laughs> then I found myself the other day telling somebody who told me the right thing to do that I didn't do. I know. <laughs> G 
Jesus has taught me so much about how I can't make myself right on my own. And I just prove it. (laughs) I'll just let that one sit the way it is. You can't justify yourself. But I was listening to a podcast by Pastor Timothy Keller, and he's been sick and all this. This was an old one, and it was so amazing to me. He said this, Jesus didn't come to teach us how to justify ourselves. He came to be our justifier. I'm going to try to teach you how to be good enough to be justified. I am paying for it. Communion, we just were reminded of that over and over again. The songs. Whose name is above all names? Oh, let's get loud, church. (laughs) Whose name is above all names? Amen. Hallelujah, Phoenix. (laughs) But you guys, the final point is one that you've probably heard before, and it's not new to me either, and it's not certainly not original with me. In this story, Jesus is the Good Samaritan. Jesus is. Again, Timothy Keller said, mercy doesn't need any reasons. You just give it. Nobody can earn it, so you got to give it. People don't want it sometimes. I don't want your mercy. I don't want your pity. I don't want your welfare, all these different things. But I want to tell you, if Jesus is identifying himself as a good Samaritan, like he's the one that came and was all risky with his love, and he gave his love even though everybody was going to turn from it at some point, it's not the first time he's been called a Samaritan. It's not the first time that he identified as somebody who was considered less than in the community. If you will, you can go to John 8, 48 with me. We got a bunch of the I am statements in this whole eighth chapter of John, and he's really convicting the leaders. And so the Jews, the leaders of the Jews, answered him when he said, look, if I've done something sinful, tell me, point it out. But if I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? And they were super angry. They were really frustrated with him. So frustrated, they called him a dirty name. Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Oh, gosh. I'm not, I'm not just a Samaritan. I'm a demon-possessed Samaritan. Jesus is the good Samaritan, is the guy that actually came to give himself up to help somebody. Look, we need discernment. I'm not going to pretend with you. I don't know that you should always pull over and help somebody. I don't know who is going to be safe for you to do that with. I don't know if they're flying the sign that you would actually stop and give them the time of day. God knows. Are they image bearers? Have they blown it? You're two for two in identifying with them, by the way. Image bearer, and you've blown it. Who's going to stop? Well, they look like they got a lot of food. Give them a gift card. I don't want to give them money. I get that. 
I don't know if I want to give people a ride. I've done it multiple times, and only one time have I been like, that was super sketchy. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. There's been times when I have stopped to see if somebody was all right, and the very first thing out of my mouth is, I know jack squat about cars, but I have a phone. Do you have a phone? Like, yeah, I've already called. Cool, do you need anything? No, I'm fine. There's other times when I've pulled over and thought, this is when I meet Jesus. <laughs> and I mean it in that way, but you also could be meeting him because, well, at this particular spot in the message as we come to the end, I want to ask you on your own to go read Matthew 25. And see if maybe when you pull over, maybe when you help, maybe when you say, what's going on with you? How are you doing? Are you okay? I know you don't know me, but you look pretty sad or even mad. You might be serving Jesus. Another quote from Timothy Keller, and then we'll be on our way. Until you're crushed and convicted by the magnitude of love that Jesus requires. So it's beyond you. Until that happens, you'll never be humble enough to receive the love that he offers in the gospel. It's time for us to move towards Jesus. Some of you this morning are sitting here right now and you need to admit that he's the only one who loves like this. You need to confess it. You need to confess that he's the Lord and you're not. You need to ask him to forgive you. You need to invite him to run the show, give you discernment. And some of you have already done that and you're at a good spot. It's still a really good thing for all of us, a, a step closer to admit that he's the only one who can do this. But here's a second step maybe. Pray and ask Jesus to open your eyes and your ears and your hearts to see, hear, and to show his love to others in your life. Friend, you need to ask Jesus to help you to be a neighbor. Not look for, like, who you want to serve, but look to serve. You guys remember the golden rule, right? Out of the mouth of Jesus, also, love your neighbor, right? It's cool. This one is like this practical step. Go and do for others what you want them to do for you. Let me tell you what I learned listening to this podcast. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself is being joyfully filled with excitement when they get what you wanted. Going out of your way to make sure that they know how good it was that they got the promotion and not saying, but I really wanted it and I'm trying not to hate you. But like being excited for people. Friend, that is really impossible apart from Jesus. For some of you, you've neighbored well. And you're so exhausted. You're tired. You're burdened. You haven't just been loving your family. You've been loving people all over the place. And you are not just bordering on burnout. You're as crispy as the bacon I love to eat. 
You need to admit that to Jesus. You need to ask him to refresh you and to remind you to grab again that love that, that gives and gives and gives. And ask him to open up your eyes to see some fruit of what you've been doing. Because again, let, let's talk about a tree for a second. We talked about Jesus being the vine and we're the branches. Well, the branches come off of the life source and they have fruit and they have leaves. Those leaves, that fruit, really technically isn't making the tree grow. Now they stop and they can fertilize and all that, but it's the other way around, friend. The tree makes the fruit grow. And so we need to admit that and we're like, Lord... I know I'm exhausted and tired, and you were too, and you took time away, and Sabbath, slow down, don't just do. But we refresh, like filling up at the gas station so you can go do your stuff, right? We get refilled so we can give away. Lord, what you've given to me, I need to keep giving to people, and I need to not become scarce with it but also need rest. It's okay to slow down. I was blessed to talk with some people this week that have had a whole lot of things happen in their life that are really, really challenging. And they have bordered on bitterness, like, God, you've done so much for so many people, and I've done so much. Can you hook me up? It's a good question. It's a real question to build a life there is to build a life based on bitterness, not thankfulness, not dependence on Jesus. Friends, we have a ton of different questions that we have for you, and I'd love for you to get together with people and go through those questions. I'd love for you to watch the Live It Out video. It'll sound a little bit similar to what you hear today, but there will be a specific takeaway for you in there. I want to thank you for allowing me to spend half an hour plus with you guys going over this. But in the words of Jesus Christ, go and do likewise. And you're going to need him for it. And he's like, yeah, I know. Let's go. I got you. I got you. I want you. I love you. I came for you. I came for everybody. Not everybody's going to listen. Not everybody's going to like it. And when you get into Matthew 25, you're going to notice nobody says thank you. Some will say thank you. Don't do it for the thank you either. Whew, now you're really talking about some impossible stuff. I know. We're going to need Jesus for this one. You're going to need Jesus anyway. And he's willing. I came that you might what? He said. Have life. I want this for you. Look to be a neighbor to people. Because Jesus neighbored us first. Let's pray. God, you're awesome every way, every day. I love you so much. I thank you for today. I ask that we would get about our day with our family and our friends and even strangers. I want us to be safe, but I don't want us to be secluded. And so, Holy Spirit, we need your discernment for what that looks like. We need to know how and who to help. And maybe we help through giving resources to other people. But Lord, may we not just let it be put on somebody else. May we be a part of it. And I'm asking in your precious name that we would see some fruit of that so it would encourage us that we're planting and watering, but you're making it grow. 
And I know that on the way to meeting the needs of others, our needs will be met. I've seen it so much. I love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Be strong and courageous. Let it be contagious. We're not to keep this to ourselves. Go give it away. And if you don't mind, grab some coffee on your way out with some, you know, payment. Okay, bye. <laughs>